What is up, everybody? And welcome to the data on Kubernetes community. Super stoked to be here. We are almost at live stream number 140 since we got started about two years ago, about to celebrate our second anniversary anniversary in July. That being said, extra excited to be here. That's why I got my sunglasses on, blinded by the data on Kubernetes community lights. That being said, very important announcement before we bring our amazing speaker for today. We've got something coming up, right? We've got the next DOK day, all right? It's gonna be on October 24th in Detroit and you can send in your CFP already. I was talking to today's speaker, Yanov, about this actually. And we've already got folks uh, sending in their ideas. So you can do the same thing. As usual, we want our talks to be end user focused, right? We don't wanna hear just people trying to sell something. This is not a sales event. This is an event for engineers to make running data on Kubernetes easier, to standardize practices, to get all that good stuff in there, bring your customers in, bring your end users in. This is what we want to be hearing from. Also, if you're going to give a talk alone, why not invite somebody else to give it with you? And why not somebody from an underrepresented group? All right, we did a talk, a panel about DEI not that long ago, really hitting hard on these, these, you know, these topics, trying to get more folks into the fold when we're talking about data on Kubernetes. So please keep that in mind. Um, but like I said, you've got the link right there to Sessionize. We'll be promoting this. You can expect videos, all that kind of stuff in lots of different places um, to get all these things delivered on time. And speaking of delivery, today we're going to be hearing a lot about delivery from a person who has been delivering software since he was 10 years old. Many people's first job is delivering newspapers. But today's speaker, Yaniv, who joins us from Israel, Tel Aviv, small town you may have heard of, he's been developing software since he was 10. And now he's working at a really cool place, memphis.dev, that you should definitely check out. You will be checking out. Yanov, turn on your camera and show yourself. <laughs> What's up, man? Perfect. Like magic, he appears. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm great. I'm great. It's, it's, it's hard to, to come after such a cool intro, as always, Bar. So um, thank you. Thank you. Everybody, you're doing good. Now, tell us really quickly, what's your backstory? You started at the age of 10. Now you're in the data on Kubernetes community. You probably did not imagine at 10 that you would be talking to me later in your life. Um, so lucky you. But regarding that, how did this journey get started and how, to get, how did you get to where you are right now? So I, actually, I, I thought about it. I remember this story just, just not, not too long ago. Uh, I received an HTML book, like an old HTML book when I was 10 years old uh, from, from an old neighbor. Uh, in my building, um, and th there it started. I thought I, I, I was about to, to become a lawyer, and then I decided that my true passion is, is development, actually. Um, and, and there where my, my journey started, and, and I've been building, developing ever since, try to learn as much as, much as possible and constantly evolving and, and joining different communities and uh, hopefully bring some value with the, with the stuff I built. So... That's, that's where so. I started. Good. And how about your Kubernetes journey? How did that start? So it started on 2019, actually, okay. when I first, when I first, by the way, I, I've been in DockerCon in San Francisco, and I first like got to know Dayton Kubernetes uh, on the OK Day, uh, where I seen you, uh, where I saw you uh, with your guitar and thought about this is a cool community to join, uh, taking things easy and light. Um, but I, and and actually, I've never thought that I would be able to actually participate in in the community. So I'm, I'm really happy for this opportunity and uh, and excited. Uh, as as we are too. Good, very very good. So you you know we've got a little bit of info here. 
about the kind of app we're going to be looking at. All right, we all are used to having things delivered. Maybe some people probably aren't as conscious of all the technology that's behind that in order things to, for things to be coming in real time. We can talk about scalability. We can talk about high availability. We can talk about different things that are going to get in there. But this whole idea about building a stateful DoorDash style app, what can we expect from today's talk? Definitely. So the application itself was not meant to be really complex or branched. It was meant to pass um, the, the, the topics that I wanted to discuss about to uh, become more event-driven, more real-time, uh, um, to bring more real-time architecture in your, in your app and on top of Kubernetes. So those are the subjects that I wanted to address okay. uh, by building this app. And I thought to myself that um, using a cool app as, an, as a demonstration for, for, those, uh, for those topics would be, would be a good way to, to emphasize it. All right. Well, that being said, if you want to share your screen, take it away. Folks, if you have questions, please get them in the chat. And for those of you who are watching this in the future, you can always interact with Yanivan in Slack. He's very responsive, easy to talk to, as you can see. So that being said, if you want to start sharing your screen, jump right into your presentation. Definitely. Good. Um, so uh, I stopped share. Uh, I started to share, right? Yep. All good. Okay. Uh, so super excited. Help me out if uh, if I get stuck sometime. Um, really, uh, really happy to 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 have this opportunity to engage with with the community, with the users, and and the users of DOK in in particular, and explain some of some of the subjects that Memphis in particular touch and and me as a developer, uh, or at least a former developer, or always a developer, uh, think that we should uh, become more, uh, more and more focused in, in the coming, definitely in the coming years. And data streaming event-driven, um, we should definitely cover this one uh, on, on this workshop. So, and, and I thought to myself not to take it to uh, hardcore with the deck, just go over the article, um, hopefully, people will join uh, with me and, and do, do some stuff along the way. Um, that's it. So I think that we should start by understanding why I chose DoorDash and what does it mean for me, event-driven, why this is important and, and why the subject is so, um, I would say, so um, important for for the era that, that we are in right now. So event-driven means that something happened or some event occurred somewhere and it triggers an event. Um, and that event can, and, and it triggers an action. So it means that maybe a sales, a sale happened and it needs to trigger like the CI or, or the BI or the, uh, the CRM tools. Um, Anyone, any service, any application inside our environment needs to be aware that something happened somewhere in our environment. And that being said, I, I mean, that's the general idea of event-driven uh, architecture. So trigger an action when something happened and not the other way. Um, and I think the DoorDash or any food delivery, any asynchronous uh, application really emphasize the need for it. So. Let's take, for example, someone is waiting or created an order or something like that, and is waiting, he has a spinner on his screen and he's waiting for the restaurant to respond for it or to reply with order completed or uh, order delivered or something like that. So while he waits, 
something happens asynchronously in the background. Um, and I think that this is really emphasized the need for event-driven and real-time architecture. Um, the user on the other side, the, the, the producer that, that produced the event can wait while uh, the consumer at the other end um, are able to perform it and not keep in wait while uh, while wait for 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 uh, his event. And so let's just dive deep dive into Freshmart. Freshmart is our uh, DoorDash like uh, application. Um, I use the technology stack below. That's like questions. Some okay. Uh, some push messages on the side. So I've used Node.js uh, as the language that I, that I programmed the, the application, MongoDB for application state, Memphis as our broker, and, and Kubernetes as, uh, as the environment that the application runs on, on top. A quick, quick note question. about- Sorry, Just a quick question though, please. regarding MongoDB, um, is there any, any preference towards that? Are you just more experienced with that? Or is there something specific about it that gives you an extra advantage when building SAP? So MongoDB, I would say um, it, it became our first choice um, out of our own familiarity with Mongo. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a very classic database to run on top of Kubernetes. If, if that's, what, that, that's, what we, uh, that's what you meant uh, from your question, Bart, but um, I would say it's very easy to... Um, to, to build your app around it because you're already familiar and, and it's worked great with, with Node.js. So we wanted a quick time to market regarding building the application fast. Yeah. No, that, no, that totally makes sense. No, no, answer. I mean, I understand like there are a lot of databases out there. If, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If you're comfortable with one. And I think that's once again for a lot of people because which databases should I be running on Kubernetes? You know, we've had talks about Cassandra, about Postgres, et cetera, et cetera but totally makes sense there. Anyway, good, keep going. Definitely, definitely. Um, so MongoDB, Memphis and Kubernetes. One, one hint about, um, about message broker um, and not particular Memphis, but just the idea of a message broker. So as you can see, like in the picture below, a message broker, some confused, some, sometimes people tend to, to think it's a, it's a pattern it's an architecture, so it's everything combined into a technology. Um, the most popular one, probably Apache Kafka and Memphis Dev as well. So the core essence of message broker is basically to, in the very basic form, is to create an asynchronous communication between different services uh, or different applications. And so instead of an application communicate directly with another application or a different service, and way to his response, it's been done asynchronously. So application one, just throw a message, throw an event to, to the message broker, and then application four and five, just consume it uh, and, and perform some operation. And application one is already released from that point. I mean, uh, um, the acknowledge is received by the message broker itself and not application four and five. Um, it really gives you a boost I'm about to, uh, to release an article of why message broker is, is so important. Um, I, I would say developers usually will come to, the, to that point, they implement message broker a bit late because of the entry barrier that can be complex a bit sometimes. Uh, but if you 
are able to overcome the complexity or the learning curve of inserting message blocker inside your architecture, you would see that along the way, the complexity um, of your entire application is really lower down. Um, so um, that's, that's a one minute uh, about message blocker. The most popular ones are Apache Kafka and messaging queue, which is a different, different, a bit different pattern, but uh, RabbitMQ as well. And of course, Memphis Dev, and we would love Memphis Dev is also an open source and we would love any love contribution and engagement uh, with our uh, GitHub repo. Um, so a bit about our high level plan and, and how, to, uh, how, how to start up uh, FastMart. So first we will install Minikube. I already installed Minikube. It takes a bit longer. I hope that everyone that's watching right now or try to perform the workshop along, alongside with us um, already installed. Uh, but Minikube is just um, a sandbox of Kubernetes that can run on top of Docker or any virtual environment that runs on top of your laptop. But actually just create a simulator of, uh, of Kubernetes with all its uh, features. Um, we will install Memphis over Minikube, uh, clone FastMart GitHub repo, so we would have uh, uh, all the dependencies and code needed. And then hopefully we would be able to order some food. So install Minikube. Let me just quickly start my own. But in the meantime, any question uh, from the channel or something? Um, also, you know, you're, you know, you're talking about Kafka and, you know, it's interesting to actually take a step back because you're speaking of streaming, you know, two years after we got started, it's interesting to see how the data on Kubernetes stack has been building out because originally very heavily focused on database and storage, but now seeing these other kinds of use cases, we're talking about ML workloads, AI and data streaming coming into the, to the game as well. We've seen, we've had different speakers speak about Kafka, Pulsar, Red Panda. You know, I think we've had a speaker as well too from Confluent. Is this something that you, you think that we can expect a lot more attention on in the coming six months to a year? Definitely. Um, I forgot to, to, to mention this one. And the most important one, actually, data streaming and data streaming and written, we are just seeing the the foundation or the, 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 the starting of it. So, I, and what I mean is that data is growing and the old ways of doing like bad jobs, post-processing, um, it can take you to a certain point, but then from that point, when your data is not that grow, but is complex and, and is distributed, then you would need to create some manipulations and, and start to analyze and collect your data um, and via streaming algorithms and, and streaming methods. And so that's why Kafka, which already born on, on, on 2011 and, and Pulsar and, and the other technologies, um, actually just revealing, just starting to reveal its true power. Um, but yet it's written in Java, which I don't have anything against it, uh, but taking Java on top of a container Inside the Kubernetes, we are not there yet in terms of stability, in terms of doing an abstraction on top of an abstraction. So virtualization inside virtualization. Um, but definitely um, we would see more, uh, more movement towards data streaming on top of Kubernetes because Kubernetes, it's the new virtualization there, right? 
that's the new runtime. And so definitely everything that we do on top of bare metal, uh, we should be able to do on top of Kubernetes. So definitely, uh, I think that we will see more and more technologies there. Um, I will have to, I, I have to add one more thing okay. regarding that, um, that the main challenge at the moment, as I see it doing or do this movement um, towards Kubernetes, I think the storage layer underneath, um, definitely something that uh, needs to, someone needs to raise the glove and, and gives us a proper distributed storage underneath or shared storage and on top of Kubernetes, um, beside the usual like Ceph or the abstraction layers on top, uh, in order to really bring mass of data um, and and stateful and more stateful apps on top of Kubernetes. Uh, so I think combination of both of them will really um, take Kubernetes to somewhere else. That's a great comment, and actually I'm probably going to pull that as a quote video because we have quite a few folks that are in the storage space in our community. And it'd be really interesting to get a conversation started about that. So that's great. Anyway, cool. Keep going. I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to speak with them as well. <laughs> that, no, no, no. We've got plenty of folks that are in the storage space. So I think it'd be really good to get that on the open. Awesome. Amazing. So going back, just checking if my cube CTO. So I'm. I'm not sure the entry point of the uh, the amazing people that are watching us right now. Uh, Kubernetes. It, it's not something that I can really explain in a second. Um, but stop me wherever on whenever uh, on on whatever command I'm running that is not really clear what it's all about. So I'm just displaying my namespaces to uh, to see that the Kubernetes started, and now I will install Memphis on top. So in our website or GitHub repo, you can uh, you can see both of the commands to run over Docker Compose if you prefer to just run it on top of your Docker engine, your local Docker engine, or if you have a Minikube or a Kubernetes cluster, you can also run it on there. Let's quickly install Memphis and Memphis installed. Let's just see if everything started. So Memphis is going to be our message broker um, that really makes the magic of asynchronous messaging um, or asynchronous communication between different services. We'll just wait for Memphis to start all its pods. And maybe it's a good time to just quickly view the notes of the installation. So if we want to expose the UI, we will just copy and paste this command, uh, which basically port forward uh, the UI through port 9000 to us. And if we would like to interact from our local machine towards the broker, towards Memphis broker, we'll just need to run this command and push the data towards that port. On underneath, we can see our secret. So root for the username, uh, root password can be revealed through this command and the connection token as well. As you can see in the command that I've ran, and I already set the connection token to some custom connection token that I've, uh, that I've used in in Festmart. So I think that we are set up regarding this one. Awesome. Um, let's now clone Festmart repo. So I already cloned it. Let's go quickly over, over the different 
how am I with time? Okay, so um, let's start with order service. That's that's basically the front end um, where the client is actually interacting with the system. So the user sends a post command uh, to the order service, which basically parse it and uh, push it towards Memphis. We will see it in a minute. Oh, good, I have the architecture in front of me. So the client basically can get an order get the menu from the order service or post an order to the order service. The order service will place a pending order uh, inside MongoDB just to persist the data because something can happen in any message broker communication or in any REST communication, something can happen between inside the traffic between the order service and between the service and, and the message broker. So we always prefer to persist it somewhere and create a checkpoint. The order itself will come into Memphis Station. So basically, a message broker, if we use the term um, uh, topic in, in Kafka or queues in, in RabbitMQ, so Memphis has stations. Um, so basically, we will want to separate stations between different usage. So we have a station for ingesting orders, and we have another station for, for notification. And the order stations, um, both services, email service and restaurant service, consume data from it. And notification stations, we have only the email service that consume data for, for it. And why the architecture is, uh, is as follows, because we want to create a single station, a single notification set station for our entire environment for the rest of the applications inside our organization and not just particularly create an email service or a notification service for each app individually because it's just rewriting the same code. And so this is why uh, it is as follow. Um, so basically after the order is being consumed by the restaurant service and the email service, the email service will notify the client that the order is received and will be, uh, will be processed by a certain restaurant. And the restaurant service uh, will actually consume the new order and start performing um, the dish itself. And then change the same order from pending um, to a different status, meaning that it's on preparing. Um, so that's the REST API. And then I just wanted to give each of these services, as you can see, like email service, order service, restaurant service, I just wanted to give like a special place uh, inside the architecture to reduce noise uh, or cognitive noise from it. Um, the connectivity to Memphis itself, which is again, the message broker, um, you can find inside source services and MQ service. So inside the MQ service, we can see like the connection for each service or for each, if I will take it to Kubernetes terminology for each pod, um, we have a single connection. So um, as soon as the application start up, uh, it will connect to Memphis and start a socket. But inside our app, um, as you can see, we have the producer and we can also create several producers and several consumers. Um, so it means that, for example, if I'm adding Beric to email service, Inside email service MQ file, MQ service file, you would be able to see two consumers. 
but only one connection, again, as I've explained. And, and then we can see some middleware that attach, attach some functions to any events that ingested inside uh, Memphis. And that's basically it. Um, simple as that. Let's maybe quickly go over the file tree. For example, or the service. If anyone likes my terminal, I can definitely send a tutorial for it. I'm a huge fan of cool terminals. So. I know, I think visually speaking, yeah, that's not, I've actually, I don't think I've ever seen one like this before. <laughs> Took me a while to modify it. <laughs> a little, no, a little bit of developer experience goes a long way. Uh, yeah, no problem. Definitely. There. So as as we've seen, um, just again the connectivity to Memphis. So Memphis host. Um, if we manage it uh, locally, it would be localhost. The user that we will use FastMart and the connection token would be Memphis. Um, but if not, let's see the Kubernetes deployment file. and talk about this one a bit more about how to take an application and deploy it over Kubernetes. So for some people that joined us, I think that looks a bit like gibberish and I completely agree. Um, it takes a bit of a learning curve to understand how to approach a YAML file, but I can promise you that as, as soon as you starting to write it a bit uh, yourself and understand the different syntax and, and the different rules, it's definitely becoming a second language. Um, let's quickly understand it and the different layers uh, that inside the Kubernetes deployment. So as you can see, we're starting by creating, sorry. But YAML, no, YAML as an acronym, do you agree that it's yelling at my laptop? <laughs> nice. No, I heard that. I heard that in KubeCon. So it sounds like it. Yeah, but like you said, once you kind of learn, you know, how to get around it, then you can really extract more value from it and not just see it as something that's overwhelming. Correct? Definitely, definitely, definitely. Yeah. It's. I I have to say that once you understand or get the different building blocks of Kubernetes and uh, in your mind, it's starting to it started to become logic as as you as you proceed. You understand the different layers until you get like the container the container itself on top of on top of uh, on top of the cluster uh, but again it just just require practice um, so let's quickly understand the different layers inside the kubernetes file so i always like to place everything at the same file for me it makes sense to like see the entire layers and as you can see we start from a namespace and if i have to um, equivalent to something else. So that means a quota. So that's mean, that means like a, a separate or private place just for your app on top of the cluster and gives you uh, a lot more flexibility in terms of and um, quota the resources or just managing your entire application dependencies in a single place. So that's namespace. And uh, we're creating our uh, first mile dedicated namespace. Afterwards, we can see the service. And a service is attached to a certain deployment or a pod based on the selector 
that you chose below. Now, a service as I as I understand it, or as I can say it in, in simple words, it's basically a load balancer. The beauty in Kubernetes, as I see, is the ability to scale our app really, really fast, really, really easy. Um, and we need that something in front that will allow us to abstract the communication or the uh, the request between uh, outside uh, the cluster and onto our pods, which you can see just for the, sim the, the simplicity of things as, as a single container. Um, so service is the load balancer that uh, goes in front of the container. And underneath, as we go in deeper, we can see deployment. So basically, deployment, I will keep it simple as possible. Deployment, it's a package of pods and that basically um, make sure your pods is always alive. And if something happened to a certain pod, it gets them uh, restarted and, and defined by the way you define the, the deployment. So no matter if you have like 20 pods of the same deployment, they, are, they will all be with the same configuration. And then we can see the environment variables that I've shown before, like the Mongos. The Mongos, by the way, we, we're, not, we're not starting our own Mongos because Memphis itself use a Mongo uh, inside their deployment. So I figured out why to, uh, to create another, uh, another, another MongoDB. We can just use Memphis. And, and there and here we can see the URL inside Memphis. So basically, it's an FQDN. It's a Kubernetes FQDN. Um, so let's let's put it this way: after we developing on top of our local machine, we want to take and wrap our application and put it inside or on top of our Kubernetes cluster. And the communication should happen internally and not from our local machine, but either. Uh, but but from within the Kubernetes itself, so that would be the FQDN. That one is always um, uh, always constant, and this one would be the name of the service, which we can see uh, at the service up top. And Memphis would be the namespace, which is the namespace of uh, Memphis itself. So we can see uh, the name orders. And... Awesome. Image is the image of the uh, of 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 Festmart itself, and at, at the moment it's hosted on top of Docker Hub, um, but that basically it. And just a quick uh, quick sentence about how to take the the app that you developed on top of your local machine and put it on top of the Kubernetes on top of your Kubernetes. So basically, the steps would be create a Docker file for each service, build it push it towards, it doesn't have to be a public uh, registry, but just for the uh, simplicity of things, we would use Docker Hub as a public registry, and then create a YAML file for Kubernetes, tells him what do we want to start, how it should start, uh, with what preferences or settings, and, and which image should be pulled. So it's the same uh, image that we, that we built, that we built and, and pushed towards Docker. And so let's see if we're in business and start. Um, sorry, Yanev, uh, we got a yeah. 
we got a question. Um, somewhat, he, he may have arrived a little bit late. So would you mind just quickly summarizing what's the role of Mongo in Memphis? If you can just reiterate or just kind of mm -hmm. cover that quickly. Awesome. Um, so basically inside Memphis, there, there is a UI um, and, and there is a management wrapper around the broker itself. So at the moment, uh, we are using, and it's about to, to be removed in the coming, in the coming version. Uh, we are switching to towards distributed key value store uh, inside our broker. But at the moment, we are using uh, Mongo just to maintain application state and only for the, um, and only for the wrapper or the management wrapper around our broker uh, and not for the data itself. Hopefully, I was managed to, to answer properly. Yeah, I'm sure that's fine. If not, um, Divine can follow up with us on, on the chat. So um, we applied our Kubernetes deployment of FastMart. Let's quickly understand if everything started. And we have an issue. Let's see what it is. Memphis user is not exist. Okay. So just, just to quickly understand which user is man. Memphis username should be Festmark. Okay. The initial the initial user that Memphis starts with that Memphis starts with is root. And if we want to use a different user, we should create it as well. So let's quickly expose the UI and create another user. So as you've seen, I'm just copy and paste the command. And the password itself. Okay, so I'm inside Memphis UI going towards users. I'll just quickly remove this one. Add new user. Let's call it Memphis as Festmart. So if Festmart wanted Memphis or. No, it requires Festmart. Awesome. So let's call it Festmart. And we have two types of users. So management or application management would be just for management and application would be for applications that wants to interact and, uh, and exchange data uh, with Memphis Volker itself. Here's a name FastMart connection token Memphis as I've um, defined in the application itself. Going back to FastMart pods, let's see if they Succeed to starting up. We will quickly remove them just to give them a faster restart. And hopefully, I would not get a huge lapse. Awesome. It looks 
it looks decent. Okay. So going back to the article, um, we basically accomplished this one. So at the moment, all the services up, restaurant services up, email services up, both of them. Oh, we can still see it in. Awesome. We can see both stations. Factory is just a wrapper around stations. And we can see both orders and notifications and stations. Let's quickly go to orders. Great. So we can see our producers and we can see all the service and we can see uh, our both our two consumers. So email service and restaurant service, which is exactly like the architecture here. So email service and restaurant service are up and running and waiting for some order from order station. And we have also notification station which should have only orders, sorry, restaurants and emails. So basically that's this one, restaurant service that push data or push notifications toward the notification center, notification station and email service that consume it and notify the client. And so that looks good. Let's quickly run a kill command. How are we with the time? Awesome. see this one going down so everything i've i've did uh, can be i've done can be found inside the article itself and minor change we use the cli to create the user inside memphis and let's quickly expose the order service which is the front end of our fastmart doordash application The thing that I'm doing right here, the port forward, and um, is basically to expose like internal services inside our Kubernetes cluster to my local machine. So I would be able to interact it uh, or develop it um, and develop develop on top of Kubernetes, but from my local machine instead of like for every single change or every interaction that I require to do, um, I would need to like build the image, push the image, apply the YAML file, etc. So we're exposed to Fastmart order service. Let's see if it's alive. It's always the exciting moment to see if your demo is, is okay. And it works. <laughs> awesome. Um, so basically here, there is no event-driven magic. Here is just us, our client, us as the client, one second, us as the client asking the order service to get us the menu. So strictly and um, straightforward and um, REST API communication. But now we want to post an order and that again, order will be inserted into the order station, will be inserted into the MongoDB as well, and then the entire flow. Uh, but event-driven style. So I will take the command from here. As you can see, we have some burgers, we have some fries and we have Coke. Now I will take 
the post command. Maybe I'll create a side-by-side -side screen just to emphasize the flow of the data. A second. So that's Memphis. Let's quickly show orders. Awesome. So basically what we can see right now is that order service is connected to the station and consumers are also live and connected to the station as well. And when I, sorry about that, copy and paste issues. Let's quick change this one. And if our post command will be succeeded, we can see a message that goes through from order service to the station and consumed by email and restaurant. And basically they will perform their direction based on that order. Great. So awesome. We can see the message and that we just sent and it produced by order service and consumed by email service and restaurant service as well. Let's see if we have some logs to it. So it received the order, uh, but because I didn't connect any Gmail account or something like that, it was not able to notify me as the client. And, but if we will go into restaurant service, it would be much cleaner output. Awesome. So, order with a MongoDB hash ID accepted and then delivered. So that's basically it, that's first mark. And I would love to spend the rest of, uh, of the time in this session to just discuss event-driven, discuss Kubernetes, discuss data streaming on top of it. Any question that I can help with, I'd love that. Okay, um, you know, when we talk about a lot of these things, we go from, what's being done previously to what's being done now. Points of resistance, whether it's legacy systems, monoliths, et cetera, in order to get folks out of that sort of comfort zone, what do you think are the first steps in order to make it easier for that to happen? Because as much as we talk about technologies, at the end of the day, a lot of this is about change management. So let's say there's a large scale organization that happens to run delivery services. How do you get those conversations started with the engineering team? How do you show the value of showing us what you just, you know, what you just uh, did in the demo? How do you approach that? So I'll demonstrate actually with the struggle that brought me into event-driven. Uh, so basically me and my, uh, my friends and, and future-to-be partners or current partners uh, that helped me uh, that together we built Memphis. Actually, we started building an open source project regarding analyzing social conversations using AI models. Um, and it worked great, actually, uh, like every, every open source dream, like immediate traction, uh, people are using, people were using Makela, which is a neighbor word for chore. Um, 
and, and, and actually love the product. But then we started to get feature requests asking, please scale towards or allow us to add more data sources like Telegram, like Facebook, like Reddit, like any uh, and like more sources. And then it eat us. Well, uh, we understood that we don't have a framework that can support such a scale. So we needed to disassemble the entire architecture and put mm-hmm. something in the middle uh, that will allow us this, this agility, the, the ability to, to change microservices and not disrupt the others, the ability to add more services uh, in parallel to the current one uh, that are already alive. And then we understood the power of, of message broker, not like in the general idea of it, uh, but then we understood what is the power and, and what it allows us to do. Now, having said that, many startups or many organizations, many developers reach to the very simple point to prove their, to prove their idea, right? Um, we want to achieve proof of concept as soon as possible and not thinking about scaling and robust architecture and stuff like that. Um, but I think that even for those, are, and, and it's perfectly fine, but I think that even for those architecture, if you understand the real value that creating a message broker archi- based architecture and the value that it will give you in the near future, like the amount of complexity that it, that it will remove or offload from, from you and, and, and the rest of your team, I think it's worth the learning curve. It's worth the refactoring and at least worth considering. And, and as, as a developer, I started using Apache Kafka and we, and we wanted to implement Kafka inside uh, Makela, the open source project that we've built. Um, but the entry, like the entry point or the, the, the learning barrier was, was too high for a team of four people. And that's what really brought us to build Memphis to try to lower that barrier. And, and there is some other great projects like Pulsar as well, that doing a great job um, and, and open source as well, of course, uh, they're doing a great job doing the same thing on top of Kubernetes and on scale. Um, definitely. And uh, I, I think it's just, just a manner of adaptivity and, and willing to to, to leave the monolith on the side for a second and try to um, widen your your perspective and and think think a bit a bit longer a bit to the future. I like that, and it's interesting because we've you know a question that we frequently ask our speakers is why should practitioners engineers be taking the idea seriously of running data on Kubernetes and there are. There are different answers, but generally it's going to be one of one of the following um, cost. It can be, you know, uh, a question of, of talent. Do you have a team that's ready to do this? Can they build an operator? Will they know how to use one? If not, all those different things that can come into there. Then another factor as well too, and I believe it kind of goes along with what you're mentioning is leveraging Kubernetes built-in features. And particularly in this case, I think what for me, the, the takeaway that I've got is regarding scalability that you just can't get that. Um, Definitely. And, Definitely. And, and particularly in the case, like you said, the from the pain point that where you'd realize like, oh, we need to get all these different data sources from the, the previous project. And then in this case, if we're thinking about a delivery app, if we're thinking about e-commerce, if we're thinking about an autonomous car with all the different data points that it has, 
when it's on, it's generating tons of data. And when it's off, nothing. Um, so I think these things definitely come into it. Would you agree, though, in terms of the reasons that folks should be keeping in mind for running data on Kubernetes? 100%. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that if it's not happened till today, it will definitely uh, conquer the entire runtimes as we know them. Um, and for one simple reason, by the way, history, history teaches us that from the moment, I would say around 2012, VMware started like the real movement towards virtualizations. And everyone says it's great, it's awesome for web apps, but it can never run um, databases. Uh, and then like the first one made a move and, and starting to uh, move more workloads uh, or more heavy workloads and, and stateful workloads on top of virtualization. And all of a sudden, Everyone does that. And I think that's the same, uh, that would be the same case with, with Kubernetes. It's just, I would say, if we would be able to bring it closer to the average developers and remove the fear a bit that it's so, you know, so serverless, you don't sure, you're not sure where your data is actually sitting at. Um, and the entire, like, um, it's the beauty and the curse of, of Kubernetes, the entire like stateless behavior that can, your, your application can just run anywhere and you're not sure where it is. I think we're, when we would feel more comfortable about it, uh, definitely we would see more stateful workloads moving towards Kubernetes. Good, and we do, you know, like we, we see it more, this is, like I said, we're almost at live stream number 140. We've done three DOK days. There's been plenty of activity going on and seeing from different practitioners such as yourself from all over the world that this is being done and there is a certain amount of value being provided here. Going Definitely. back to, you know, you mentioned VMware in 2012 and previously you had mentioned, you know, like Kafka, technologically speaking, is relatively old. You know, I, I know they just had the OSS, you know, summit in, in Austin. So people were talking about, you know, how Linux is, you know, now over 30, but, but Kafka is not, you know, straight out of the, you know, fresh out of the box or whatever we want to call it. Like it's not, it's not terribly young. I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on Kafka. It's, it's a great technology that provides lots of value to many people. What I'm saying here is, is that whether it's Kafka or other technologies, the challenge becomes with Kubernetes. And there are, different, there are different success stories, and we can look at different things. But one of the things that seems to be problematic that's mentioned time and time again is the nature, to what extent a technology is Kubernetes native or Kubernetes flexible or not. And then the certain challenges that what we, we kind of say in in Spanish at least, that you have to shoehorn it in or like kind of force it in a way that's not necessarily comfortable. Do you imagine that technologies such as Kafka will eventually become more and more outdated or they're just gonna need lots of additional support in order to be able to run on Kubernetes? It, we, we've had plenty of talks and we actually have another talk this week about that specifically, um, also with someone who's in the, the Strimzy project as a maintainer. But it, do you feel like the Kubernetes native technologies are going to be better positioned as more organizations move on? Or that it's like, well, we've used Kafka, and now we also want to use Kafka on Kubernetes, but I'm not interested in using something new. How do you think that's going to go? So I would say the newer players that took the core, the core of Kafka, refactoring a bit, turn it into maybe C, like Red Panda or Streamzy that were able to manipulate the core a bit and, 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 and made it run like, uh, perfectly on top, of, on, top of, uh, on top of Kubernetes. Those are the players, I think, that will continue this journey and take Kafka 
towards the edge and towards and towards Kubernetes. I think Kafka itself, it is designed for robustness. I think it, it is designed for like heavy workloads that require particular memory management on top of, on top of bare metal. I can see at the moment like call Kafka becoming more cloud native or I, I always say it's just not fit into a container. Like it's it's taking a lion and put inside like a three bedroom uh, uh, apartment. So it's like it's like it's just not fit there. It's 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 great for for different workloads. It's great for different environments, but uh, but it's not the right place to place inside a container. And so definitely Red Panda and Streamzy, and um, um, and of course uh, Memphis uh, because it's written in Go. So um, definitely a compiled language That's instead of a JVM. Point. So yeah, a compiled language compared to compared to a, to a virtualization one or JVM, uh, definitely as, as, as its ability to adapt better for Kubernetes environment. With that, and with that choice as well too, because that's interesting, you know, thinking about Go and thinking about your average Kubernetes yeah. practitioner, what are they gonna be most comfortable with? What was behind the decision that we're gonna use Go? What was the decision behind that? How, how did that get built? So basically, we started as a fork of Nats, which is another open source project that basically created the core of Memphis, and we created our own stream. Um, Go is really, really fast, um, co compiled language as well. And if I'm comparing, comparing it to uh, C, for example, the ability to code um, in object-oriented manner uh, or via packages and, and, and dependencies management, I would say Go uh, is much faster than, than C and C++. So definitely that was our main decision. And yeah, that's, no, it makes sense. that's it. As a non, you know, I did, I, when I was 10 years old, I was doing other things. I was not programming like you were. So I, but I always find these things interesting and I've been told, and I, I'm, I'm not, you know, sponsored by Go or anything like that. But what I have been told is that the simplicity of building blocks. And so often thinking about, you know, coding for folks that may have an infrastructure background that aren't used to coding, things of that nature. So I do think that's interesting that you made that choice because of the different stakeholders are potentially thinking about who's gonna be using this and how can we, once again, going back to the human elements, how can we empathize with those people and, and remove you know unnecessary suffering from their, from their work lives? So I like that. I think that's, Definitely. A, that's a cool choice. That's a cool choice. This is and, yeah. and, we, and we are Kubernetes first. So we didn't have any idea of going towards bare metal um, uh, workload or, or bare metal environments or runtime. Uh, we were Kubernetes first right in the beginning. And so the, actually the comparison or the benchmarks that we did was Rust, Go, and, or C++ and, and Go 1. Okay, all right. Um, that's great. I think we're just about out of time. Yanov, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Anything that we haven't covered? Is there something that we've missed? Are you writing a book about how you've been programming since you were 10? <laughs> a documentary, anything? Um, no, actually, just, just to encourage everyone um, to like, find the project, find an open source project, find a community that you like, engage with it, uh, contribute to it. Uh, Memphis is always welcome new members uh, to its uh, to its project, and and again, just any community. Um, I've I've learned a lot, and I think uh, that brought me to a certain uh, experience. Um, like open source brought me to a certain experience and learning 
uh, that I don't think that I would get without. Um, and thank you for this opportunity to, to, to contribute some knowledge to anyone in the world. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you. I think, I think you said everything that we've been trying to express to people, but in a much more succinct and elegant way. Get into a community, get out there, get involved in something. I think that's, um, and the best way to get involved is to get involved. And it's really, nowadays in 2022, is not that difficult. There's tons of places out there. Find something that works for you. Before we finish, we do have a tradition in our community um, that while our speaker is giving their talk, we have an amazing person from our team, and his name is Angel. And he was drawing an artistic depiction of the things that you were speaking about in your talk. So we have a mixture of things <laughs> going on here. We've got the delivery bicycle. It's getting delivered towards the, the person who wants their order. And I think it turned out quite well. Um, so we'll be sharing that in Slack. It's always nice to have a sort of visual representation, artistic representation of things that were discussed. This is great. And I, I encourage other speakers as well that are going to be watching this. Get a practical example, something we can all relate to. You know, what could be more you know, nowadays in 2022? Who's not getting something delivered in one way or another? Um, thinking about these practical applications and the things that are going on behind the scenes. So anyway, Yanev, thank you very much for your time. I will say thank this you, as well, too. Following up on a point that was mentioned earlier, if you joined late about 45 minutes ago, Yanev was talking about you know the interest in digging a little bit deeper on the storage side of things about what are the best options. Is it an area that's quite you know traditional? Is it an area that needs to be more modern? What are the things that are happening there? We've got quite a few storage folks in our space, and I think that's going to get a really good conversation started. Um, so I look forward to that and interacting with uh, you more in, in Slack. Thanks, everybody, for joining, and we will we'll be seeing you soon. So take care. Okay. Thanks, Mark. Bye-bye.